It is 18 years ago, almost to the day. A sunny day with leaves just turning. The touchline's new ruled. Since I watched you play, your first game of football, then, like a satellite, wrenched from its orbit, go drifting away. Behind a scatter of boys, I can see you walking away from me towards the school, with the pathos of a half-fledged thing set free into a wilderness, the gate of one who finds no path where the path should be. That hesitant figure, eddying away, like a winged seed loosened from its parent stem, has something I never quite grasped to convey about nature's give and take, the small, the scorching, ordeals which fire one's irresolute clay. I have had worse partings, but none that so gnaws at my mind still. Perhaps it is roughly saying what God alone could perfectly show, how selfhood begins with a walking away, and love is proved in the letting go. C. Day Lewis, Walking Away Fire in the chamber beneath the lighthouse. Cut to Lena outside, watching the lighthouse burn, silhouetted in front of the flame, then turning away toward camera as the crystalline trees ignite into flames as well. Second five reverse. Beyond Lena, now facing away from camera, are four crystalline trees. The second one from the left erupts into flame. Then the fourth. The first and third glow with lots of flame throughout. The first one ignites. Cut to the underground chamber. Second 15, the humanoid barely visible but for its flames being a little whiter than the flames surrounding it. It rises up onto its knees and it is lost in the brightness. From the novel, quote, At some point during our relationship, my husband began to call me the ghost bird, which was his way of teasing me for not being present enough in his life. It would be said with a kind of creasing at the corner of his lips that almost formed a thin smile, but in his eyes I could see the reproach. If we went to bars with his friends, one of his favorite things to do, I would volunteer only what a prisoner might during an interrogation. They weren't my friends, not really, but also I wasn't in the habit of engaging in small talk, nor in broad talk, as I liked to call it. I didn't care about politics except how politics impinged upon the environment. I wasn't religious. All of my hobbies were bound up in my work. I lived for the work, and I thrilled with the power of the focus, but it was also deeply personal. I didn't like to talk about my research. I didn't wear makeup or care about new shoes or the latest music. I'm sure my husband's friends found me taciturn, or worse. Perhaps they even found me unsophisticated, or strangely uneducated, as I heard one of them say, although I don't know if he was referring to me. I enjoyed the bars, but not for the same reasons as my husband. I loved the late-night slow burn of being out, my mind turning over some problem, some piece of data, while able to appear sociable but still existing apart. He worried too much about me, though, and my need for solitude ate into his enjoyment of talking to friends who were mostly from the hospital. I would see him trail off in mid-sentence, gazing at me for some sign of my own contentment, as off to the side, I drank my whiskey neat. Ghostbird, he would say later. Did you have fun? I'd nod and smile. End quote. Second 27, Lena, lighthouse and at least ten crystalline trees burning behind her. One by one, the trees collapse into the ground and disappear. From the novel. Quote, When I emerged from below, the sky taking on the deep amber hue that marked the beginning of late afternoon. The sea was ablaze with light, but nothing beautiful here fooled me anymore. Human lives had poured into this place over time, 
volunteered to become party to exile and worse. Under everything lay the ghastly presence of countless desperate struggles. Why did they keep sending us? Why did we keep going? So many lies, so little ability to face the truth. Area X broke mines, I felt, even though it hadn't yet broken mine. A line from a song coming back to me. All this useless knowledge. End quote. The song she's thinking of. Timothy C. Baker suggests in Writing Animals, Language Suffering, and Animality in 21st Century Fiction, quote, This phrase comes from Elvis Costello's All This Useless Beauty, and the unnoted replacement indicates not only the biologist's unreliability, but also the porousness of the novel. End quote. Maybe. It's at times such as this she'd be tempted to spit. If she wasn't so ladylike. She imagines how she might have lived, back when legends and history collide, so she looks to her prince, finding, since he's so charmingly, slumped at her side. Those days are recalled on the gallery wall, and she's waiting for passion or humor to strike. What shall we do? What shall we do with all this useless beauty? All this useless beauty. But it could also be a misquote of Tombstone Blues by Bob Dylan. I wish I could write you a melody so plain that could hold you, dear lady, from going insane, that could ease you and cool you and cease the pain of your useless and pointless knowledge. It's a time such as this She'd be tempted to spit If she wasn't so ladylike She imagines as she might have lived Back when legends and history collide So she looks to her prince Finding senses so charmingly Slumped at her side Those days are recalled on the gallery wall And she's waiting for passion Shall we do all this useless beauty? All this useless beauty. Search of more and more 
Maybe it is both songs, and that is the point. Justin Cummings, Critics at Large, 18th March 2014, takes the biologist's misquote for the title of his review of Vandermeer's novel. He writes, quote, Annihilation occupies a space outside of the known, concerning itself with the psychological rather than the physical, which in turn takes it closer to true Lovecraftian territory. It's sinister right from the opening page. Vandermeer makes no attempt to disguise the malevolently disquieting tone, the expedition hasn't been in Area X for a day before flashes of imagined violence enter the narrator's head as if placed in her mind by outside forces. We don't know anything about these women other than their particular areas of expertise, which proves woefully inadequate when faced with the baffling and unearthly things they find. Like Lovecraft, the prose is as lovely as it is disturbing. In many cases, you'll be afraid to turn the page, but you'll be as hungry for more vibrant illustration as you are terrified. The narrator is a taciturn piece of work, but as a biologist, she isn't a stranger to the beauty of nature, which is described in passionate detail. Even breathing in the suffocating, alien air of Area X, she never loses her admiration for the interconnectedness of living things. Area X is not a place of prosperity, however, and recognizing the bleak beauty of it has a way of changing you. As she puts it, desolation tries to colonize you. The biologist has colonized herself in more ways than one, Vandermeer planting seeds of doubt and confusion as surely in our minds as in hers. The length of the novel is deliberately crafted, too. At under 200 pages, it's a compact, tightly wound experience, flashing in and out of the reader's mind like a fever dream. Vandermeer distills a profusion of dread and madness into a very small package, making you wonder, is the biologist crazy? Is the author crazy? Am I? It teaches you to mistrust everything you're reading, and it's over before you can gasp, like one of the hallucinations inflicted on the characters. Annihilation is sad and beautiful and terrifying. Vandermeer yanks the foundations out from under you and leaves you adrift in an entrancing, hostile world. The terror of the unknowable, the rage of impotence, the absurdity of structure, the ecstasy of madness, these are the hallmarks of classic horror as carved in obsidian by Lovecraft himself, and they permeate the skin of Annihilation like a toxic spore. End quote. Second 34, crystalline trees collapsing on the beach, becoming more like lava here rather than just disappearing into the ground. One tree lingers slightly longer than the rest, then falls into itself and collapses, leaving lava on the ground, sparks in the air, blowing away. Beat. Second 49, a different graveyard than the one by the lighthouse. Crosses made of bamboo, 
the tree line and the edge of the shimmer beyond, and we are outside the shimmer. The shot lingers, but there is no lone woman walking out of the tree line across the scrubland, as in the script, and this shot of graves we have not seen before feels out of place. From the novel, quote, Interspersed with my husband's direct account of what had happened to the expedition were more personal observations, most of which I am reluctant to summarize here, except there is one passage that pertains to Area X and to our relationship, too. Seeing all of this, experiencing all of it, even when it's bad, I wish you were here. I wish we had volunteered together. I would have understood you better here, on the trek north. We wouldn't have needed to say anything if you didn't want to. It wouldn't have bothered me. Not at all. And we wouldn't have turned back. We would have kept going until we couldn't go farther. Slowly, painfully, I realized what I had been reading from the very first words of his journal. My husband had an inner life that went beyond his gregarious exterior, and if I had known enough to let him inside my guard, I might have understood this fact. Except I hadn't, of course. I had let tidal pools and fungi that could devour plastic inside my guard, but not him. Of all the aspects of the journal, this ate at me the most. He had created his share of our problems, by pushing me too hard, by wanting too much, by trying to see something in me that didn't exist. But I could have met him partway and retained my sovereignty, and now it was too late. His personal observations included many grace notes, a description in the margin of a tidal pool in the rocks down the coast just beyond the lighthouse, a lengthy observation of the atypical use of an outcropping of oysters at low tide by a skimmer seeking to kill a large fish. Photographs of the tidal pool had been stuck in a sleeve in the back. Placed carefully in the sleeve, too, were pressed wildflowers, a slender seed pod, a few unusual leaves. My husband would have cared little for any of this. Even the focus to observe the skimmer and write a page of notes would have required great concentration from him. I knew these elements were intended for me and me alone. There were no endearments, but I understood in part because of this restraint. He knew how much I hated words like love. End quote.
Second 59, cut to Lena in the interrogation room. Blue glass to the left, people in hazmat suits watching, and time runs out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. It was a dream. We lived inside a dream. is all we are. Annihilation. 